Our scripture for today comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, verses 13 through 18. Here are these words. On that same day, two disciples were traveling to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. And while they were discussing these things, Jesus himself arrived and joined them on their journey. But they were prevented from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you talking about? I, think that, I don't think Jesus talked like that, but <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> There's some more. <laughs> they, they stopped, their faces downturned. I think it's more like slack-jawed is a better term. It's like, oh, what you don't know? Oh my gosh. One named Cleopas replied, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who is unaware of the things that have taken place in the last few days? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Self-driving cars have been the next big thing for a long time. The technology has improved a lot over the years, and some of you probably have cars that you can flip a switch and it'll do self-driving for a while. Some of you may have cars that have what my wife and I refer to as the lane doctor, which is when you're kind of veering a little off. It goes, "Ah, ah, ah," and we feel like it's a little passive-aggressive sometimes. It's like, no, I was in the lane. I was in the lane. It's you who are off, Mr. Lane Doctor. Um, But but it's it's amazing how technology has has happened and taken place and continued to advance, that, that cars can do sense all the things around us, can sense cars in front and besides and even deer. But it's really phenomenal. But the next step before we all have our own nice robot chauffeurs is not necessarily a technological one, but a, a legal one. Who is liable, who is responsible when there are accidents? Who's responsible for the unplanned contingency? Is it the person who owns the car? If I'm, if I'm riding along in the car and the car is driving itself and the car crashes, I don't really feel like I'm responsible for it. Um, I would like to blame the car company. The car company would not like to take the blame. <laughs> they don't want to, no, no company is like, yes, let us absorb all the tail risk. We will take it. It will be wonderful. Um, they want to pass it around a little bit, figure out something to do with that. But I think that's, that's until there is some kind of resolution over liability, we're not going to have these nice robot chauffeurs that all our wonderful cartoons have. But, but things change and times change. A hundred years ago, when the automobile was first kind of introduced, cities weren't designed around cars, right? There weren't a lot of cars. And so cities were designed, it was usually a city was by a river or a rail yard. And so the city was around and designed around how to get whatever product to another market. And so they had a river, they had a rail yard, um, and people were in the streets, you know, for all of human existence up about until about 100 years ago, you want to cross a street, you just cross the street. Um, That's it. There were carts in the street, there were vendors, all sorts of things, people, you know, chatting, chatting it up. And then about 100 years ago in the 1920s, car companies were like, you know, it's hard to drive in a city. We need to fix this. What if we make it illegal to walk on a street. And that's when they invented jaywalking. Really, it's like that's the actual history. There was no jaywalking in the 19th century. Um, it wasn't like, there wasn't like a horse and buggy said, you there, halt, you are walking the jay, or something like that. <laughs> um, it, it was, it was a, a concerted effort by car manufacturers to get people off the streets so that there could be more automobiles 
driving along. And now, and then they, and they're like, well, what if, you know, how do I know if I'm jaywalking or not? And they invent it. Well, we'll just make a crosswalk and we'll just walk you through it. That's what you have to do. Um, and the whole point of this was to switch the liability so that the driver was no longer liable. It's like, hey, I was driving safely, but that person was in the street against the law. Now, now things change, and I'm probably more interested in these kinds of histories than, than most people, and I apologize for dwelling a little too much sometimes. Um, but it's, I think it's so important for us to remember that the way things are aren't the way things always used to be. That, um, you know, a hundred years ago, like there was no jaywalking when America was founded. Um, you walked across the street. So these laws came about. But behaviors that we may think are natural have changed over time. You know, one of the most amazing transformations in driving was about 50 years ago um, when there were no laws against, you know, consuming alcohol and driving. And it was just, you know, it was assumed it's like it's a great way to get, get some steam off after work is to have a cold one on your way home from the commute. And who's going to take that away? And there were a lot of, there were a lot more accidents. Uh, but it was like there was, it seemed impossible that anyone could ever fight this law. Because all those guys in the state legislatures across the country were like, well, we enjoy this, so we're not going to change. <laughs> um, what, you know, whatever the cost. And then, like, the most, one of the most powerful grassroots efforts in this nation's history, like, formed together, Mothers Against Drunk Driving. And they had this effort to, and they lobbied and petitioned and changed the laws. So you couldn't just, like, go to work with your scotch and soda like you always did. You had to, <laughs> um, you had to change what was going on. These, these things transformed. Because one of the things that's important when you're a driver is you got to be able to pay attention to what's around you. you got to not be inhibited in those ways by in know and focus about what is going on around you. You have to be in the right frame of mind. My friends, we are finishing our series on how to drive a car on my hobby horse of Formula One racing and the church, of combining what are two things I like. Um, and so I just smashed them together. But I think it fits. Um, Formula One, there was a race this morning. I don't know if you were watching it during your band rehearsals, as I was. Um, but uh, Max Verstappen won, just to let you know. But it was, it was a very controversial one. But Formula One racing, if, if you aren't familiar, is like the pinnacle of automobile manufacturing. It's, it's the cars built just for their best. What, it, what would it be to build a car at its best? When I don't have to think about passengers or, you know, or kids or safety valves, other than the safety of the driver, what would be the fastest possible car to do these races? And it made me think about the church and thinking about the church. And usually when we think about the church or Christians, we're, we kind of have this, the legacy that we, we go with. We have our expectations. We have our experiences. But what would the church look like at its best? What could it be at its best? We talked beginning with talking about the chassis, the chassis of the car, the, the bottom of the car, the foundation of the car, and how the church is actually, you know, we talk, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, but it's not only that. It is hearing the word of God and doing it. It is hearing the word of God and doing it, and God calls us not to be a, a stationary body, not to be a stagnant body, but to be a body on the move. Jesus never calls someone and says, you, you're good, stay put. He says, come with me. <laughs> he says, go there. Jesus is never like, oh, you're fine. You just move along. That, that's not one of the Jesus' calls. It's always this motion, this movement from where we were to where we are going. From some sort of exile in, in our life to our return to life with God. Then we talked about aerodynamics. 
which again, you usually don't hear about in the church. And aerodynamics in Formula One racing has to do with avoiding drag and maximizing downforce. And downforce is the, the gravitational pull of, of the wind on the car that helps the car be able to handle these really, really sharp turns that they, that they go through. And one of the ways of the church is how do we minimize the drag that we have on the Holy Spirit in, as a church? That sometimes we can stand up and get in the way of what God is doing and be like, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. But we want to be a, a body at its best that is, that is hearing what God is doing and participating in that and receiving the healthy downforce of the Holy Spirit because there are going to be twists and turns in our life. In all of our lives, in, our, you know, in our, our graduates' lives, as they go to college, there's going to be twists and turns, and we have to prepare for that and realize that God is with us, especially on those turns, especially on those times when we are unsure. And last week, we talked about God, the power unit of, of our faith, and that the power unit is the scriptures, and going back to the scriptures and being refueled by it. And even if we don't have a good experience with the Bible, or maybe we feel like inadequate with our history with the Bible, God is still present there. And to be a people that goes back to scripture again and again. And this week, we're talking about a part of the car that really isn't the car, the driver. But without a driver, you can't have a car. You can build the best car in the world, but if no one is there to drive it, it's not going anywhere. It's like the old uh, Mitch Hedberg joke that what do you call a broken escalator? Stairs. <laughs> that's, that's a car without a driver. As well to drive, you have to pay attention to where you are, to what is around you, and to where you are going. My friends, in our scripture for today, in the Gospel of Luke, it's after the resurrection, and these two disciples are walking along, and they're sharing about what was going on. It's like, did you see what happened? Oh my gosh, did you see too? Wow! And they're going on and on about this, and then another person comes up whom they do not recognize. They're talking about Jesus, but they don't realize that in their midst, he is there. He is present. They make assumptions about this new person. Oh, you didn't know what was going on? Oh my gosh. Um, they might have talked like that a little bit. Um, but <laughs> they include him in their story. They include him. Hey, come along. Let's, let me tell you what's going on. But they don't realize that he is the heart of the story right there in front of them, walking with them. To drive, we've got to pay attention to what is going on. We've got to notice what is going on. We have to pay attention to where Jesus is. As a church, we have to pay attention to where Jesus is. We can't just assume that Jesus is going to show up in the same place, in the same way, every time. We can't assume that Jesus is going to impact everybody's life in the same way. I can't just assume that the way that God has touched me is going to be the exact way that God is going to touch you. We have to pay attention to who Jesus is. We cannot just sit back and press a button and take our hands off the wheel and think that things are going to go off swellingly. I don't know. Is that a word? I don't think so. Swelling, maybe? I mean, we can't make a choice. We can't make a choice to take our hands off the wheel. We can't make a choice to be passive to what God is doing. We can step back. We can step away. We can make a decision that it doesn't, God doesn't really need to be a part 
as an important part of my life anymore. I mean, I think for most people who step away from the church, it doesn't come because of some big dramatic um, confrontation with God. They aren't just like reading the Bible and, and thinking one day, this is entirely false. Oh my gosh, and the, and the castle crumbles. Um, it's not like, you know, Lieutenant Dan and, and Forrest Gump on the top of the boat, like cursing God in the middle of a storm. Like that's not really what experiences for most people or why they stop going to church. It's more often than not the, the result of a sort of apathy of, of not going for a few times and then just realizing, I don't know if I need that anymore. I don't know if I want that anymore. Or it's the kind of thing like, oh my gosh, that person's going to be there. Ugh, I don't really want to see them. If I don't go, I don't have to see them. Or they'll be like, oh, there's going to be the same conversation again. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Oh, it's great. Oh, the lake, it's low. Oh, wow. Um, you might not want to <laughs> have that conversation. Or you may think like, oh, they're going to play the same songs again and again and again. Not, not, not here, other places, Jim. Other, not here. Um, but, it's, but it's that, to, to be the church, we can't always assume people are going to want to come and see us come here and stick around forever, no matter what. We can't even assume that people are going to know where Jesus is. Even still, what we should do and what they should do. One of the things, you know, one of the things that the, the discipline of, of leading the church is like constantly introducing myself. Um, which sometimes gets dull. I have to, you know, remind people, like, introduce yourself. What's your name? And we do these same kind of things that we're not always taught. The point is not to always talk to the same people. That even if it's someone, even if the presence in our congregation or online are only people who've been here before, it's so important to name that. My name is Wilson Pruitt. My name is Pastor Wilson. I am here speaking for you. I am here pastoring. I am not like a hollow vessel of God. God is working through me. I need to name my presence here. We need to name these parts of the service. We cannot make these assumptions. We cannot make these assumptions for what is going to go on here. We should do the things of God. We should respond to the Holy Spirit. We should follow through with prayer. We should turn to our source of power in the scriptures. But we, and we need to remember that Jesus is with us this whole time, but we've got to step up and drive the car. In, in Formula One racing, there's usually there's, there's two drivers per team. It's a very sophisticated driver development program. Usually, um, kids will start at a very young age and doing karting. Um, it's like not, not like go-karts that I understood as a child, like, like really serious go-karts, really serious karting, um, serious driving where they're doing these passes and, and changes and all these sort of things. And to kind of get into the system, you have to go to all the, it's almost like, um, like, basketball, like youth basketball or youth baseball where you're traveling around a travel team. You have to do this for the karting and then you get noticed by a team or um, you're the child of a billionaire. Um, and that's an easy way to get noticed. There are currently two, <laughs> two Canadian billionaires' sons who are in Formula One. Um, which I don't know how many Canadian billionaires there are, but there's, that's got to be a pretty high ratio. Um, that's, that's one way to get in. I'm not, not recommending it. But for everyone else in the world, <laughs> there's a way you've got to show, show possibility and potentiality. And then you get noticed and you do these trainings. And even the drivers who are, who are on um, the current circuit, they train constantly. It's this constant, like, heavy, heavy workout regime because they're, they're facing four to five Gs 
on almost every turn and every break. And so it's, it's almost like, it's like flying a plane in a car um, without any other protection. So they, they train for this. They go through all these different simulations constantly, these million-dollar simulation um, systems so they can know the track perfectly. They know every single aspect of the track. Um, the track they ran today in Barcelona, uh, the, the circuit has been going again and again and again. I, all the drivers know this track super well. They know where to brake. They know when to brake. They know what they can get away with on a turn. They know the apex of a turn, which is something I didn't know before I got into Formula One, but the apex of the turn is when you're, when you're going for a steep turn, it's the point at which you're slowest, where you need to, to break to that point, moment to hit the apex, and then you can accelerate again. And the goal is, is on every turn to hit the apex, to hit the optimal rate of it. And these drivers are studying and practicing this. But the, different, the cars are different, and sometimes you may have like a really excellent car, and you drive that really well, and sometimes you have a suboptimal car which is still like much better than any car we could ever imagine, but it's still, it's not, it's two seconds off. In two seconds, you lose, you're, you're done for in Formula One. For instance, over the last eight years, um, the Mercedes team had the best car, and Lewis Hamilton had the best car, and he drove it so well. This year, there was this big shift in, in all the regulations, and Mercedes doesn't have the best car anymore. Now, they had some upgrades this week, but it's still, it's, it's different when you no longer have the best. It's different driving when you're no longer at the front of the pack. And this made me think about the church in the United States, that the church and, and Christians for a long time had a privileged place in society, that there was nothing was open on Sunday morning because there was an assumption that everybody was in church. Everybody wasn't in church, but there was an assumption about that. There was, nothing, there was very little you could do other than go to church if you wanted to. Now, you can do almost everything at any time. But it's still, there was this, this position of privilege. People would think like, oh, you're a pastor. Oh my gosh, God bless you. Thank you so much. I don't receive that as much anymore. Um, <laughs> it's like, what do you do? What's that? You just like, you get up and talk to people and then you sit down? That's interesting. Um, now, the church, though, doesn't occupy this exact same space. Now, some communities it does, but we just have to like, be honest, the church doesn't occupy that space. There are a lot of things that people can do other than go to church. This doesn't mean that Jesus is out of date or that the words of Jesus are untrue. It just means that we are in a different season in the life of faith in this country. We may have been in the springtime, <laughs> for a while, but now we're in the winter and we got to put the chains on the tire. We've got to drive in a little way. We should not be accelerating on ice, which is the driving advice I always remember my father saying to my sister, don't accelerate on ice. It's good advice. We as the church need to remember that. <laughs> don't accelerate on ice. The conditions are not the exact same. We need to drive the car in a different way. We shouldn't drive from a position of assumptions, assumptions about our authority, or we shouldn't drive from a position of resentment. If we resent people when they don't come to church or they don't come back to church, or if we resent our children for not doing what we think they should do, that's not offering Jesus to them. Jesus doesn't offer a ministry of resentment. <laughs> that's never like, oh, those guys. <laughs> that's not one of the things that Jesus says. Jesus is direct. Jesus is, is life-affirming and giving. And when people are feeling in positions of comfort, Jesus challenges them. And when people are feeling in positions of need, Jesus offers them life. He doesn't offer resentment. 
When we do those things, when we, when we rest on our assumptions or we rest on a resentment, we are driving last year's model. We are driving something that is out of date. We're trying to drive something that's not equipped, not equipped for our current season and reality. Jesus is not dated. The, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is, is eternal and timeless. We humans are the ones who are misunderstanding how to connect and reach in this season. In the church, we're trying both to, to drive the car and be driven by Christ, to do this both and, these both things at the same time. We're stuck sometimes, though, between the rock of our self-driving future, where we, we take our foot off the pedal, where we let go of the wheel, and the hard place of a past where the church had more to do with social conventions than with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, with who God is for us. Being a Christian is not just adding the word Christian to things that you already would have done anyway. Being Christian is not just about wearing a cross or a t-shirt, but following Jesus and driving the car of faith, stepping out of comfort into a place where only God can bring you. May we not just yearn for past comforts. May we, not, may we instead seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus is still here, my brothers and sisters. He has always been here. Like the disciples on the Emmaus Road, Jesus was right there next to him. They were talking about Jesus and they missed out that he was there. And sometimes I feel like that's us as the church, that we're talking about Jesus, but we don't notice that he is right there with us. He is right there with us. And the story of Jesus is not just about something that happened in the past. It's what's going on right now. It's the transformation that is going on right now. For us to be the church, we've got to drive the car. We've got to do the things of God. We have to be the church. We have to be the hands and feet of Jesus. We have to live into what God has called us to do. Now, in my, in my messages, in my sermons, I try... I try to be edifying and entertaining and catch, capture, capture attention. Capture, capture your attention. <laughs> like that, perfect. Um, but it's not, but it's like Sunday morning is not like a, you know, a weekly TED talk surrounded by fun music. Um, that's not, some churches that's kind of presented in that way. And I don't think that's what God is trying to do here. God is not trying to entertain you on the morning before you go off to lunch or hopefully, you know, when, when the lake is level um, and get back out there. God is like, worship is about transformation about encountering your risen Savior and an opportunity for that. And it may not be in the same way. We cannot know how the Holy Spirit is going to act, but it's opening ourselves up for that encounter. A lot of churches function in the same way many businesses function, with the 80-20 principle, you know, which means that you know, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Um, and that, that happens. That happens with, with volunteers. You see the same volunteers to a lot of things. But we cannot truly be the church when we see that. If we think someone else should do the thing that they're asking for volunteers, then we are not being the church. If we think someone else should invite people to worship, if that's someone else's job, that's not my job, we are not being the church. God meets us where we are. God forgives us and gives us hope to share this. When we are happy with the minimum, when worship is about our convenience, what we like and don't like, and just feeling good about ourselves, when evangelism is other people inviting others to church and not us, we are not being the church. 
then we will never be the church at its best. The 80-20 church is not the church at its best. It's the church of the minimum, the church of the status quo, the church of transformation ages ago, not transformation today. We will be like a Formula One driver, a Formula One car with a bad driver who crashes all the time, the son of a Canadian billionaire. Um, it's, it's true. It's those in the, if you know, you know. Um, <laughs> But whatever our past decisions and past expectations, God is offering us something new this day, a new encounter with Jesus, a new encounter with mercy. Today, God is offering us Jesus so that we can offer it to the world, so that we can offer life to the world, so we can offer truth to the world, so that we can offer it to our children, to our friends, to our neighbors, to the next generation of drivers. And if we want to do that, if we want to commit to that, we need to want to have a next generation of drivers. We can't just talk about it and then have Jesus show up and ask us what we're talking about. We need to do it. We need to be willing to sacrifice for it, to come and offer ourselves for it, to volunteer. It's not about how you like to spend your time, the things you enjoy. It's about what kind of world are you sharing? What kind of world do you want to live into? This means volunteering is not just about other people. It's not what other people do or like to do. To volunteer, especially for our our children's and youth ministry, for our VBS coming up, volunteering for our nursery, which we couldn't open today because our people were sick. It's not about other people. It's about you. Do we want a church where we pass on the faith to the next generation? Or do we want a church that lives in past expectations, that lives off resentment, Do we want a church where we engage the next generation or do we want a church that resents it? Do we want to drive what God has offered us or do we want to be driven by a culture of apathy and by what other people say we should do? My brothers and sisters, let us respond boldly to God. Let us be the hands and feet of Jesus here and today. Let us receive mercy. Let us not receive guilt or resentment. Let us receive mercy. Let us pray about how can I step up? How can I drive what God has offered this day? How can I not guide my life about by the things I want to avoid or the things I want to do, but what God is asking this day? Let us be a location where transformation and new life takes place, where people encounter God, where Jesus is met, where when we're talking about Jesus, we know he is there and we thank him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of calling us together to be one body. Help us to earnestly strive for your kingdom here and now and to call others to be a part of it. As the church, may we be willing to go the extra step to teach the faith, to share the faith, to live the faith. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.